There's also notes up on the front of the stage here from week one and two. If you missed and you need to catch up or you want to catch up, you can pick those up when we're done. This is part two of two. We started this topic last week and we're carrying it over this week. And we'll finish it tonight before we move on to a different spiritual discipline. So we're talking about Bible intake. It's a strange thing to think about, but there was a time in church history when I'm not talking about a secular government like Rome or, um, you know, Nazi Germany or something like that, but when the ecclesiastical powers that be, the church itself, prohibited the laity, people who were not ordained clergy, from having a copy of the Bible and reading it on their own. And so just a little bit of history on that. There was something called the Council of Toulouse, and my French is not great, so I had to look that up, and I hope I'm in the ballpark. But uh, Toulouse, Toulouse, in 1229, and they forbid the lady to read the vernacular, translations of the Bible, meaning it was outlawed to read the Bible in anything other than Latin. And this is one of the things that they passed at this council. And the picture up on the screen is just the um, cathedral in this city where they held the council in 1229. And one of the things they said is this, no one may possess the book of the Old and New Testaments, and if anyone possesses them, he must turn them over to the local bishop within eight days so that they may be burned. And again, that's not the emperor of Rome saying that. That's the pope and the cardinals and the bishops and the ecclesiastical powers that be meeting together, and they're so concerned that the average folk would have access to the scriptures in their own language and read them for themselves and think about it themselves instead of just coming and receiving whatever it is they gave them and telling them this is what it means and this is what you need to do, that they actually banned it and said you had to turn it over and they would burn it. You had an eight-day limit. There was a man named John Wycliffe, and you can see the dates that he lived. We're not sure exactly when he was born, so we'll just say the 1320s to 1384. And he was actually posthumously condemned by the Archbishop of Canterbury. That means he had already died. His ministry was over. His life was over. He was in the grave. And they were so mad about what he had done that they held a trial, even though he was dead, and they condemned him posthumously at the Council of Constance. And in 1428, so you can see the year that he died, 1428, they exhumed his bones after finding him guilty for translating the scriptures and teaching people the scriptures in their own language, they exhumed his bones, they burned them publicly, and they threw the ashes into the swift river. All because he had given his life to the idea that people should be able to read the Bible. Nobody spoke Latin anymore. And he wanted people who spoke English to be able to read the Bible in English. And he was persecuted for that during his life. And then that persecution strangely continued after his life. There was a man named William Tyndale, and you can see the dates of Tyndale's life. He's a little bit later. You're getting right up into the time of the Reformation, 1494 to 1536. He taught uh, that the church should not forbid people from owning the Bible, and he said the church is only doing that to enhance their own importance to keep people under their thumbs, so to speak. And he translated the Bible into English. And for his work, completed this translation into English. For his work, the church burned him at the stake. And as they took Tyndale to burn him at the stake, these were his last words. Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Those were his dying words. He was talking about Henry VIII. And a remarkable piece of history is that within four years, God did that. And this same king that condemned Tyndale to die, burned at the stake, actually commissioned translations of the Bible into English and had a, a change of mind there. And you may say, well, it sounds like he was a, a great guy and got saved somewhere in there and his motives were not exactly pure, but he did change his mind and God used him uh, to produce these early English translations of the Bible. Today, you know, we have dozens of translations. They're available in... Uh, local bookstores, they're available in secular bookstores. You can find it in any color of cover that you want. You can find it uh, for men or for women or for children. You can find it with this kind of notes or that kind of notes. You can find all sorts of things 
in terms of Bibles in the English language and availability. You can find the Bible for free many, many places. If you know a Gideon, they'd be happy to give you a copy of the Bible if you don't have one. If you don't have one, you can steal one out of our sanctuary. We'd be happy for you to have one. If you have a smartphone, you can download it online. You can Google it. The access is unprecedented in church history in terms of people, especially people who speak English, how much access we have to the Bible. And yet, when you think about all the history that's behind us, and the church saying, you've got to turn these copies of the Bible in. And the church digging up people who have died to burn their bones and throw them in the river because they translated the Bible. And burning people at the stake. Most studies say that around 10% of Americans read the Bible daily. That's their own admission. When you just poll Americans and you say, do you read the Bible daily? About 10 11%. Uh, seems to be a pretty legitimate number at the studies I looked at. They say, yes, I read it daily. And you say, well, that's just all Americans. Surely it's much, much higher for Christians. Christians would certainly read the Bible daily in the United States. And the number, according to Barna, of just Christians who say they read the Bible daily is 18%. So one out of five read the Bible daily and the rest do not. So what we're talking about is how do we practice the spiritual discipline of Bible intake? And you see on your outline, last week we talked about how do you read the Bible, and then we talked about how do we study the Bible. That was what we focused on last week. And we're going to take it and sort of build on that tonight and talk about a few more ideas. The first thing we're going to talk about is corporate worship, and you can just write out to the side, if you don't like corporate worship, big church. And what I'm saying to you is that part of the spiritual discipline of Bible intake is being a part of big church with the qualification that the big church that you're going to is actually talking about the Bible. And I think we talked about this a few months back as we were going through different doctrines and we talked about ecclesiology, we talked about the doctrine of the church and uh, we've talked about this at different points I'm, I'm happy for people to go to church. I want people to go to church. And that does not have to be here. But I am not naive enough to think that all church is created equal, so to speak. Just because somebody says, well, I go to church at such and such place, that doesn't just give me like a big weight off my shoulders and a relief and think, oh, well, that's good. I'm so glad you're going. Because there's a lot of places that somebody may say, I'm going to church and this is where I go, that I know about that church or I know about that pastor, I know about that denomination, and you know they're not going to hear the word of God. They're going to sing some songs. Somebody's going to get up and give a talk. They're going to have some form of prayers. They're probably going to take communion and observe some form of baptism, but you know they're not going to hear the word of God. So we're sort of qualifying this with, Uh, corporate worship in certain situations. And let me just mention a few things that fall under this heading of big church, okay? Paul encouraged Timothy to be devoted to the public reading of Scripture. And I just want you to maybe fill that blank in and then look this verse up. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy are letters that Paul wrote to his protege, And this is someone that he had traveled around with on mission trips. He had invested in Timothy's life. He was like a spiritual father to Timothy. And these letters, 1 and 2 Timothy, are written towards the end of Paul's life. And it's sort of like his last instructions to the guy that he wants to continue in ministry. He wants to see Timothy finish well. And this is one of the things that he says to Timothy. 1 Timothy 4 verse 13. Until I come... Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. And basically, you can sort of take those words and say, Paul wants him to do three things. Publicly, remember Timothy's a pastor. With your church, I want you to read the Scriptures, and I want you to exhort, meaning I want you to preach, and I want you to teach. Those are the things that I want you to commit yourself to or devote yourself to. So just a quick story from my growing up on this issue of reading scripture. Um, A lot of my family lives in Kansas. And when I was young, we used to go and visit them. We would drive up for different things. 
and many of our family members that live up in that, that uh, area are Catholic. And so as I got older, we didn't do this as much. But when I was younger, when we went to stay with them and we went to visit them, we would go to Mass with them. Uh, that kind of faded out later. We would not go or we would go to a different church. But in my younger years, we would go to the Mass on Sunday mornings. And I can remember going to these services as a kid who grew up in a Baptist church, and it's so much different. It was a, Honestly, it was a little bit exciting to go because it was just you didn't know what was going to happen next if you're... You haven't gone there, and there's things, you know, people moving around and smoke and all kinds of stuff that's just kind of interesting. And one of the things that I always thought was strange when we would go is that in the Catholic service, some of you have grown up with this, some of you have been to this, they have scripture reading. And, you know, we read the Bible in my church. We had what I still think is one of the greatest preachers I've ever listened to in my life and sat under. And so we read the Bible, but usually we read it and then we talked about it. And in the Catholic Church, part of the liturgy is they just read. And they read from all of the different sections of Scripture. They cover all the sections of the canon in one service. So there's a reading from the Old Testament, and there's a reading from the Psalms, and there's a reading from the Prophets, and there's a reading from the Gospels, and there's a reading from the Epistles. There's all these readings, and usually the priest doesn't do it. Usually someone in the church does it, and they come up, and they just read it, and then they go sit down. And as a kid, I used to just think, well, how strange is that? You're just getting up and reading it. You're not talking about it. You're not going to explain it. You're not going to do anything. I'm not trying to defend Catholicism, believe me. But I think there's something very biblical to the idea that in our worship services, we ought to be people who read the Scriptures. We believe that God has spoken to us in His Word, and that ought to have a part in our worship service. So one of the ways we try to work that in most Sunday mornings is right after we do the welcome and we shake hands and we welcome our guests and all that sort of thing, we try every Sunday morning to have a scripture reading. Sometimes it's from the Old Testament, sometimes it's from the New. We don't give a sermon about it, we don't explain it. But the reason we do that is because it's one of the things that Paul told Timothy to do is devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. I listened to a podcast not too long ago And it was a podcast, not a video, but just audio of the two guys that you heard on the video. And they were talking about uh, the scriptures and reading the scriptures and listening to the scriptures and studying the scriptures. It was part of a series. And they had a whole lesson on the idea that Christians ought to gather together just to read the Bible. And in the podcast, they almost sort of joked about how awkward most of us would think that is. And just drop the, you know, the church facade and admit, if somebody said, hey, I'm having a bunch of people over to my house Friday night, and we're going to read the Bible, and then we're out and we're going home, you would think, what? No Bible study? We're not going to talk about it? I don't get to tell you what I think about it? Or we're not going to watch a video of somebody explaining it? And they just talk in there about... When you look through church history, that has been one of the things that God's people have always committed themselves to is the public, corporate reading of Scripture. Acknowledging God's Word for what it is and just reading it. And so in a lot of traditions, we don't do this at our church. Um, I think it's a, an okay thing to do. Someone will read the Scriptures, and then when they are done, they will say, this is the Word of God, and then the congregation has been trained, and they know to say, Thanks be to God, or thanks be to God for his word. And I preached at a church this summer, and they do that. Not a Catholic church, not a crazy church. That's just one of the ways they say, look, anytime we read the scriptures, we're going to read it. And at the end, I was going to read some. They said, you need to say, this is God's word. And then you pause, and everyone knows we're going to say, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for his word. And it's a biblical idea, and it's something that Christians have always done. So one of the ways that you intake God's Word is in big church, and hopefully there's Scripture reading. Secondly, we believe faith comes from hearing God's Word, and that would include hearing it read and explained. So now we're sort of adding in this exhortation and this teaching. And we'll read a couple of verses here. If you have your Bible open, look at Romans 10.
Romans 10 verse 17 says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Hearing the scriptures. If you flip over to the right and you look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 says, The word of God is living and active. We read some of this earlier in our responsive reading. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This idea that faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of of Christ, and this idea that Paul says, Timothy, devote yourself to the reading of Scripture, the public reading of Scripture, but also to exhortation and teaching, is the main reason, the foundational reason, that most of what you're going to hear from our pulpit on Sunday mornings is something called expository sermons. Okay? The counter to an expository sermon would be a topical sermon. And we're sort of doing that right now. We do it occasionally. We sort of pick an idea and we look through the Bible to see what the Bible says about that. But most of the time what we do is we pick a book or a section of books or something and we just say we're going to start at the beginning and we're going to go all the way through. And my job in that, when we say we're going to go through the book of Luke or here in a couple of weeks, we're going to go through the book of Exodus. We're going to start in Exodus, and here we go. My job in that is to read it, to explain it to you, to try to apply it to your life, and really to do as little inventing of ideas as possible. I should not be coming up with anything new or super creative. All I should be doing is saying, this is what the Word says, and helping you to see that clearly. Why do we do that? Because we believe faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Faith does not come by me standing up and giving you pop psychology and cute little stories and three little tips to make your life better or manage your money better or have a better marriage or better this or whatever. That's not how faith comes. You can gather a group of people to listen to that kind of stuff pretty easily. It's super popular. But faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. And my job as a preacher, or Corey's job as a preacher, or Hunter's job as a preacher, or your job as a Sunday school teacher is not to invent a whole bunch of stuff, but it's just to help people understand the scriptures. To say, this is what it says. This is the point. This is how it applies to your life, and this is what you need to do. So we believe faith comes from hearing and hearing God's word. Uh... Number three under this little subsection here. Listening to online preaching or listening to preaching online is a great way to hear God's word, but it is no substitute for your local church. And so let's talk about this. Technology is not something Christians should ever be afraid of. Technology was one of the reasons that when Martin Luther nailed his theses up on the door of of, uh, the church in Wittenberg, that his ideas spread like crazy because his buddies took those 95 statements down and they put them on the Gutenberg press and they sent them all over the place and mass copy and word spread way faster than it ever spread and that was technology using technology to spread the good news to spread the gospel and Christians have used various forms of this Uh, I think about when I was in college this would have been like uh, high school and college late 90s early 2000s one of the jobs I had was painting at my church I was a custodian and the church needed to be painted so just sort of one room at a time I was tasked with painting the church and you can only listen to music so long before you just kind of get bored with it at least that's true for me so I went down to the church library and somebody along the way had donated this massive just collection of cassette tapes of John MacArthur preaching And if you know John MacArthur, he preaches expository sermons. This is the passage. He walks right through it. This is what it means. This is how it applies. Great Bible stuff. And so I said, hey, I'm kind of tired of listening to the radio, tired of listening to music. And so I took those tapes and listened to cassette tapes while I was painting over and over and over again. John MacArthur was not my pastor, but it was very beneficial to me to sit under his teaching through technology. Today, you're probably not going to break out the old cassette player and, you know, put the tape in and crank it up. What you're probably going to do is listen to a podcast or something over the internet. 
And there's some great, great ways for you to be exposed to the Scriptures through podcasting. Let me give you five reasons that you ought to, in this spiritual discipline of Bible intake, five reasons you should, these are not on your notes, don't panic, five reasons you should listen to preaching online, okay? One, it's just more exposure to the Word. It is crazy, crazy, crazy for you to think that listening to me 30, 40 minutes on Sunday morning Maybe even 30, 40 minutes on Wednesday nights is enough Bible intake for you to grow as a follower of Jesus. And here's one way you can have more Bible intake, more exposure to the Word. Second, you can stay current. That should say at your church. That's my typo. Should stay, uh, you can stay current at your church. If you miss something that we've talked about, we post stuff online. You can go back and catch up with that. Three, it allows you to learn from great Bible teachers I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention some that are on your outline here in a minute, but there are some phenomenal Bible teachers who post stuff online that you could benefit from. Number four, it helps you redeem the time. So while you're driving down the road, while you're mowing the lawn, while you're exercising, you have idle time in your life, and most of you have a cell phone, and it is really not hard to subscribe to some good podcasts You don't even have to download them. It just does it automatically for you. You pull it up, and it's right there to listen to when you've got a moment. And fifth, it exposes you to different perspectives. If I'm the only voice you ever hear about the Bible, you need to hear more voices. Mine is not enough. You need to hear the wisdom of lots of other people besides just me. Now, here's the flip side of that coin. Five reasons you should beware of podcast preaching. Often it contains heresy. So if you get on iTunes and you go to the podcast section and you go to Christianity and you just start looking at the top 10, 20, 100, whatever, I'm just telling you, I've looked through the top 10, 20, 100, whatever. There's a bunch of junk on there. And if you're not discerning, you get online and you think you're listening to some expert, anybody can load anything on iTunes. And you can get a bunch of nonsense on there real quick. Number two, it can't take the place of your church. And we're going to come back to this idea at the very end of our series. And we're going to talk about why church itself is a spiritual discipline. Number three, a podcast preacher cannot be your pastor. You may say, well, I don't need a pastor. At some point in your life, you just might. And the podcast guy is not going to come. So I'm just saying. Number four, it contributes to a cult of personality. I think this is dangerous, and I think Christians are about the world's worst at this, at sort of getting our favorite person, our favorite speaker, our favorite whatever, and we put them up on some big pedestal like they're the greatest thing ever, you know, Jesus version 2.0, and we just idolize them, essentially. We don't question them. We take whatever they say, and we just accept it, and I think that's a dangerous thing. And then number five, it can promote doctrinal arrogance in that you do have access to some great teachers and you start to listen to some of these things and you can become a know-it-all real quick. And I just say that from experience and talking to people and trying to talk with them about doctrine and truth. And sometimes people just put a wall up and say, well, I heard so-and-so say this. Like that settles it. Well, I don't really care what so-and-so says. You know, I care what the Bible says, and -and so-and-so might be completely wrong. So here's my recommendations. If you wanted to listen to good preaching, these are the guys that I subscribe to and I like to listen to. And I'll just be real honest, okay? The, The only one that I listen to with any regularity is the first one on the list, and it's a guy named Alistair Begg. He's a pastor in Ohio. Um... I like him, I think, in part because he's from the U.K., so he's got a cool accent. So it sounds kind of, you know, educated or lofty to us, you know, rednecks. But Brooke and I got turned on to him when we lived up in Kentucky. And he's one that we listen to regularly throughout the week. I listened to two of his messages today. I had to drive across town for a couple of things. And so I said, hey, I got 10 minutes there and 10 minutes back. I can listen to a 20-minute podcast. And so that would be the one that I personally listen to a lot. You can read the other guys there. There's stuff's available online and super helpful. So there's a few thoughts about big church and preaching and how that fits into the spiritual discipline of Bible intake. Moving on to meditation. Let me share a quote with you from a guy named David Mathis. He's written a book on spiritual disciplines. We've talked about it already. He said, we were made to meditate. It is a distinctly 
human trait to stop and consider. And he talks more about this idea, he expands on it, but what he's saying is, this is part of what it means to be created in God's image, is to just stop and to think about things and to run them through your brain. And you may think, when I say we're going to talk about meditation, you may say, oh man, that sounds terrible, I, don't, I can't do stuff like that. You already do it, all the time. You meditate on all kinds of different things. Some of us meditate on sports really easily. Like, you've been meditating all week on how lousy the Cowboys are. You're like, man, we killed the Giants, and then we just got destroyed, demoralized, embarrassed. It was terrible what happened. That's meditating. That's running things through your brain over and over and over and thinking about it. Some of you guys meditate on politics, and you like to watch Fox News or your other news channel, whatever it may be, or you listen to this person on the radio or that person, and you just think about it all the time. It's running through your brain. Can you believe this person did this? Can you believe this person voted this way? Can you believe this happened? And that's always just sort of on your mind. That's meditating. It's just running ideas through your mind over and over and over again. For some of you, it's work. You may describe it as, well, It's just in my brain and I can't get it out of my brain and I wish I could get it out of my brain. But that's what meditating is. It's having something in your brain and it's just there like on repeat all day long. Maybe you do this with a conversation. Somebody says something to you at work or in line at the restaurant or wherever and they just say something snarky and you meditate on that the rest of the day thinking, I wish I would have said this. I wish I would have come back with this. Man, I missed an opportunity to give them a zinger. You may not think you're meditating in that, but that's exactly what you're doing. You're taking something, an event, a truth, an experience, and you're just running it through your brain over and over and over again. So here's a few thoughts about meditation when it comes to the Bible. Most forms of meditation involve clearing your mind, but biblical meditation involves filling your mind with God's Word. So even the word meditate makes you think of, you know, the Buddha statue and he's got his hands up like this and you see some guy with his legs crossed in a pretzel and he's just sort of disconnected and he's muttering, you know, some mantra or just om. And that word om as they meditate, Eastern folks as they meditate, is designed to empty your mind. It's a meaningless word. There's no translation for it. There's no definition for it. And they just say it over and over because they want to empty their mind. And the idea is when you empty your mind, you can get in touch with the other. You can reach some sort of zen. You can have some sort of experience. The biblical view of meditation is 180 degrees different. You're not trying to empty your mind, you're trying to fill it, and you're trying to fill it with God's Word. So let's look at a few of these scriptures, and we're going to move really, really quick for the sake of time, but I want you to hear some of these. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, With great and good cities you did not build, and houses full of good things you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. When you eat and you're full, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. And the basis for all this warning about don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, The way you don't forget is you bind these words on your heart and you talk about them all day long. Wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, you talk about them. You're running them through your brain and you're meditating. Look at Joshua chapter 1. Joshua 1, starting in verse 6, says, Be strong and courageous. You shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from the right or to the left. 
that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you're careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. And in the video they talked about this idea of meditating is literally like the idea of muttering. Like you're just saying it under your breath all day long, over and over and over again. And that's what Joshua says. Don't let it depart from your mouth, but you meditate on it day and night. Look at Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. We could go on, and you can read the rest of those, but you at least get the idea. This is something that stays on your heart, on your tongue, on your mind, all the time, meditating, meditating, meditating. Number two, meditation will fuel your Bible intake in your prayer life. It will be like fuel for your Bible intake and for your prayer life. So if if we were honest, a lot of you would say, you know, I've tried to read the Bible, and there's some boring stuff in there. There's some stuff I just don't get, and I don't connect with it, and I don't have a clue what's going on. And I love this quote from a Puritan named Thomas Watson. He says, the reason we come away so cold from reading the Word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. You just crack your Bible open, read five verses, slap it shut, and go about your day. It's going to be boring. Super boring. And Watson is giving us great wisdom here saying, crack it open, read a little bit, and then stop and think about it. I've been studying with a a group of guys right now the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs especially is written for you to meditate on it. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but the book of Proverbs is the choppiest book in the whole Bible. It's all, you know, one verse and then another topic and then another topic and then another topic and it just moves and You think, why didn't somebody just gather up all the verses about money and put them in chapter 13? And all the verses about this and put them in this chapter. The reason is so you slow down and you have to think about it. And you look at some of the Proverbs and you say, why did they say it like that? That's not what I expected them to say. That's not how I would have written it. And it's intentional so that it gets your attention and you slow down and you think about it. In the video, they said all these stories in the Old Testament, for example, Adam and Eve in the garden and the fruit, there's a million unanswered questions that you would like to know. There's a million missing details that sort of you're curious about. And that's intentional in many cases so that you'll think about it and you'll run it through your brain. So it's fuel for your Bible intake in your prayer life. Next, wisdom is gained through meditation. You can read and study and gather up a lot of knowledge, but wisdom is gained through meditation. And I'll let you look up the the reference here in Psalm 119. Last idea is this. You can meditate on God's Word by asking questions about God's Word. And I'll give you just some examples. You read a a story about Jesus in the Gospels, okay? Let's say you read the story. Um, do you remember the one where Jesus is teaching in the house and all the people are pressed in around him and the guys have their paralyzed buddy, they want to get him in and they can't get in so they do the hole in the roof and they let him down and there's this big debate about forgiveness of sins and healing and all that stuff. So you read that and then you stop. And instead of just closing your Bible up and moving on, you just stop. To meditate, you've got to stop a little bit. And you just start asking yourself, in this story, what am I supposed to believe about God? What does this story teach me about God? In this story, what is something that I should thank God for? You just think about it for a minute. In this story, how should I change after I read it? Is there something that I should pray about after I read this story? Does my attitude need to change after I read this story? Is there a decision that I need to make in my life after I've read this story? And you slow down. 
you ask these questions. Those aren't the only ones you ask. They're not magical questions. You just start asking questions. What does it teach me about God? What does it teach me about myself? What does it teach me about Jesus? What does it teach me about trusting Jesus? And you slow down and you ask these questions and you try to answer them. This is the key, and we're going to talk more about this in a couple of weeks. To really do meditation, you can do it while you're driving down the road. You can do it while you're getting your kids ready for bed. You can do it in a million scenarios. But to really do it, you kind of got to just stop and not do anything else and not be distracted by anything else. And you got to turn this off, put it where you're not going to see the dings and the lights and the alerts and all that kind of nonsense, and turn the TV off and the news and all the things that are so breaking news. Everything is breaking news. you got to watch it. You can't miss it. you got to turn all that stuff off. You probably got to be away from people to really, really do it. And you just got to slow down and you got to think. What about memorization? One last idea about Bible intake, memorization. Most of you see that heading and you think, can't do it. Not good at it. Um, I don't like it. Tried it in sixth grade or tried it one time in a Sunday school class and I'm just not good at it. And I would suggest to you that you are actually very good at it. You memorize all kinds of things. I bet most of you, if I asked you to turn your paper over and it was white on one side, I bet you could draw the general layout of your house and get pretty close. Here's the front door. Here's the room. Hallway goes this way. Kitchen's over on this side of the house. Bedroom's back here. This is where the garage is. Have you ever intentionally sat out to try to memorize that? Have you ever quizzed yourself on that? No. But if in the middle of the night the power goes out and you can't flip the light switch on and you're trying to get across the house, you probably can feel your way through it. Now, you might stub your toe here and there, but you know the general layout. You've memorized it. I could come up with a hundred different songs and I could start the song for you and most of you could finish it. And... I got, to, I got to looking today. I only got two down and I got distracted. So there was a guy named Jerry Lee Lewis and he wrote a song called Great Balls of Fire. And it starts off with this. You shake my nerves and you... Oh, you rattle my brain. You know it. You memorized it. Some of you are like, I haven't heard that song in 10, 20, 30, 50 years. I don't know. But it's in your brain. You memorized it. There's a guy named Elvis. You may have heard of this guy named Elvis. He wrote some songs. And he wrote a song that says this. Take my hand, take my whole life too, but I can't help falling in love with you. You know it. You memorized it. Now, you may not be a Jerry Lee Lewis fan or an Elvis fan. I don't know what you listen to. But I guarantee you, we could turn on the radio to what you like to listen to or your Pandora or your iTunes or whatever, and you could just go one after another singing those songs. You've memorized them. I could right now sit down. There was a show I watched growing up called Saved by the Bell. And you could put it on right now. And I could just quote every line, I guarantee you. Every line in every episode. I haven't watched an episode of Saved by the Bell in 10 years. But I watched them over and over and over and over. I've seen them so many times. And you could turn it on. You could turn it on mid-episode and I could just start going. I could tell you. One of my favorite movies, maybe my favorite movie, is Tombstone. I can go all the way through the movie. My wife won't watch Tombstone with me because I like to say every line. Through the movie. Every single line. Even the parts in Latin where they're arguing in the bar. Corey and I were talking about that the other day. I liked, I mean, I know it and I've watched it and I could, I, it's, I've memorized it. You may not like Tombstone or Saved by the Bell, but you like something. There's something you've watched or you've listened to and without even trying it, you've memorized it. And then you're going to sit in here and say, I can't memorize Bible verses. I can't do it. It's so hard. I can't do it. You can do it. So a few thoughts about memorization and we'll wrap up. Bible memorization is helpful for evangelism. It's necessary for sanctification and for spiritual warfare. 
Notice I said it's helpful for evangelism. You can share the gospel with somebody if you haven't memorized the Romans road. You can get your Bible out and share it with them, right? You can stumble through or mark the verses or whatever. But it's necessary for sanctification and for spiritual warfare. So let's look at these verses really, really quick. Psalm 119, 119.11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's a connection between storing God's word in your heart and not sinning against God. Those two things go together. Flip over to Matthew chapter 4 if you want to see how this played out in Jesus' life. Matthew 4, starting in verse 1, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written. And he quotes the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 3. Then there's another temptation, and Jesus says, It is written, verse 6. And he quotes uh, uh, Deuteronomy 6. And then it goes on, and there's another temptation, and Jesus says, Be gone, Satan, verse 10. It is written. And he quotes Deuteronomy 6 again. Over and over and over, he's quoting scripture. And what's really interesting in this passage is Satan is quoting it too. So you better know it, because Satan knows it. And if you're going to stand up to temptation, you've got to hide God's word in your heart so that you may not sin against him. Look over at John 17, 17. John 17 is Jesus' high priestly prayer right before he goes to Gethsemane, right on the eve of his crucifixion. And John 17, 17 says, Jesus praying, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. He's praying for his followers and he's praying that they would be sanctified, that they would be set apart and made holy. And he knows that only happens with the truth of God's word. So he's praying for their sanctification, and it happens through the truth. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. You can read the Ephesians 6 on your own. First Peter 3.15, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Do it with gentleness in respect. You've got to be prepared. This is the idea of evangelism, to make a defense and to share the scriptures with somebody. So it's helpful for evangelism. It's necessary for sanctification and spiritual warfare. Next, Bible memorization is for more than counseling, more than witnessing, more than sanctification. The discipline aims to help you know God and enjoy God. And this is really important. I think a lot of us know, look, if I'm going to witness to people and if I'm going to fight Satan and if I'm going to do all these things, spiritual warfare, resisting the devil, I've got to know God's word. But even when we know those things, we can come to the Bible just very utilitarian, like we're going to use it as some sort of tool to help ourselves some way. And what you really got to understand is that God's word is God speaking to you. It's God's revelation of himself, telling you who he is and what he's like. And when you know it and you read it and you study it and you meditate on it and you memorize it, not only do you resist temptation, not only do you grow, but you know God. That's the highest goal. The highest aim is that you know him and you have a relationship with him where you can enjoy him. Lastly, I would mention this. You need a plan to succeed in Bible memorization. You've got to have a plan. I'm going to mention a couple just so you kind of know some of the things that are available. I'm going to tell you first about a couple of apps. I don't have screenshots of these. I don't have them up on, on the screen or anything. There is an app. If you're a cheapskate, 
there's an app called Bible Minded, and it costs you zero. It's free. It's from the American Bible Society. And I just, somebody showed me this one today. And you can download it for free. You can pick which version of the Bible you want to memorize. They got all kinds of versions, whichever one you want, it's on there. And when you pull it up, there's a couple of cool things about this app. One, you can hit the memorize button, and it will pull up all of these different plans, meaning collections of verses. Like one of them I pulled up and I saved on my phone is the Awana Gospel Wheel. So they know this is what Awana uses. These are the verses they, they want you to learn in Awana. And they collect them for you and they say, if you've got kids going through this, maybe you want to memorize them and you can put them on your phone and you click on that and they've got them all listed right there and they've got some cool things to help you learn them. They've also got something called Adiverse where you can pick your own verse out of the translation you want and it loads it into the app and it stores it there and then it sort of gives you a digital flashcard of all the verses that you want to memorize and you can kind of customize what you want to do. If you're not a cheapskate, you should download an app called Fighterverse. Fighterverse. It's a red app and it's got a little white shield with a cross on it. And Fighterverse is super cool. It's broken down into collections. And there's all kinds of different things. I'm not going to mention all of them, but they basically have all these verses that they think are important for Christians to know, and they've got them on a five-year rotation. So they have set one, two, three, four, five, and 2017, this year, is for set two. Next year will be set three, and then it just loops around. So when you click on it, they give you all of these verses here that you memorize. And the first one is Isaiah 48, so you tap Isaiah 48, and it pulls it up, and it shows you the verse, which is kind of cool. And then it has something called, there's lots of stuff here, but it's got something called quizzes. So, like, you can quiz yourself. And there's a quiz where you fill in the blanks, and there's a quiz where you say it out loud to your phone, and it tells you if you got it or not. There's a quiz where you type the first letter, and it sort of fills in the word. Uh, there's all kinds of different quizzes you can take to help you learn it. There's an option on here to put it on your home screen. This is the verse for the day, so I'm going to put it on my home screen. Lock it on there, and it takes a screenshot for you, and it puts it on there. So every time you tap your phone or pick it up, you see it, and that will help you memorize it. There's something on here where you can listen to it, and then this is really cool. For each of these verses, there's two songs. And so we talked about how powerful songs are to help you memorize things. Well, they give you two songs for every verse, and you tap the song, and it plays a song. And one of the songs... uh, Seems like it's kind of soft and laid back, and the other one is more maybe a little bit rock and rolly, but it gives you two songs, and uh, it's super, super cool. There's also something on here, I'll be honest with you, the, the part I have used the most is called Foundation Verses, and it's for kids. So it gives you the kids list, and the thing I like about this is for each of the verses, it gives you a little picture. So when you pull up Genesis 1-1, it shows you a little picture of a cloud and a sun, and you say, oh yeah. Genesis 1-1, because pictures help me to learn things. They may not help you, and that may not be your thing, but I see a picture, and I say, oh, Genesis 1-1, that's a good one. And then you can go to the next one, and there's a big two, and you say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the one about you can't serve two masters. You've got to love God, or you've got to love money. And you go all the way through, um, and it gives you pictures to learn. It's a super, super cool app. I think it costs five bucks, and I know because I see on your Facebook feeds, you spend way more than that on games and extra lives and extra bonus points and Candy Crush and all that stuff. So five bucks for an app is not too much, and it is a really, really good app. So there you go if you're, if you're into technology. If you're old school and you don't like that, then you should think about something called the Navigator's Topical Memory System. And it comes in a little box like this, and there's a book and some different things in here. But this is the main thing you get. It's this little plastic deal. It looks kind of like a business card holder, and it folds in half. And they give you all these verses. You can pick your translation. I have it in the ESV because that's the one I read all the time. And they give you all these verses, and basically you put the verse you're learning on the outside, and you carry this little thing with you. And you pull it out wherever you're at and you read it and you say Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. And you learn it. And then you keep the ones you've learned here in the middle. And you can flip through them and you can go through them. It kind of feels old school, you know, 
compared to using an app or something like that. But I've used it, and it's helped me. And uh, that's, that's a plan. I don't care what your plan is, but you need some kind of plan if you're going to actually do it. And on the note of plans, the guy who came up with this one is a guy named Dawson Trotman. And he was a regular Joe. He drove a truck in a lumber yard a lot of, a lot of years ago. And he got saved. And he decided, I need to learn Bible verses. And so he's not a super educated guy. He's not a super, you know, highly intelligent guy. He's just a regular guy. And he says, I ought to be able to learn one verse a day. And during the first three years of his life as a Christian, he memorized one verse a day. Every day for the first three years that he was a Christian. Can you imagine how that would change your ability to share the gospel with people? If you had a thousand verses just on command, and you say, I cannot do that, I cannot do that, I guarantee you, you have a thousand songs memorized. At least in part, the chorus, the opening line, something like that, TV shows, famous lines from movies, you can do a thousand, no problem, if it's important to you. And I can do it to, as well, if it's important to me. Dawson Trotman shows, you can do it. It's not impossible. God made your brain to remember things that are important to you. And you do it by meditating and you think about things. They run them through your brain and you're exposed to them over and over and over and over and over again. And these things just become part of you. And I know I've kind of given you a hard time and I'm giving myself a hard time about the Bible memorization stuff. I know it's hard. That's why these things are called spiritual disciplines. All of the things that we're going to talk about are hard. Bible reading and Bible study is hard. Really meditating on the scriptures and not letting it depart from your mouth and keeping it in your heart is hard. Prayer, which we're going to talk about next. If you do it right, it's hard. Fasting is hard. Giving is hard. All of these things are not easy things, which is why way back when somebody lumped them all together, they said, hey, let's call these things spiritual disciplines. And one of the very first things we said when we started this series is, nothing great in life happens without discipline. Great things just don't happen by accident. And that's true when it comes to your spiritual life. It definitely takes discipline. So that is the spiritual discipline of Bible intake.